Welcome to another edition of Sideboob Cinema, your podcast within our podcast. I'm joined once again by my good friend Jonathan Astro and AJ. How are you guys? I'm good, AJ. I'm good. Yeah, okay. It's well, been a rough month, but I'm good. Oh, I'm here look, for it. Yes, it has. <laughs> it has been rough um, for you, but we're here to lift you up. That's right. And um, you know, it doesn't help that you know people on the internet might be starting to think that we're perverts. Uh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> well, our uh, our film today, the film we're covering today is uh, Sliver, of course, 1993, Sharon Stone. Had uh, had you guys seen this before? I I have seen it. I've seen it. Uh, <laughs> I did, dare I say I was there on the ground floor. I saw it <laughs> as a new release. <laughs> And um, illicitly saw it and then revisited it every now and then. Uh, but AJ, had you seen this film? I had not. Great. I have seen the UB40 film clip. That's about it. <laughs> you've, you've mostly seen the movie then. I pretty mean, much. Pretty much the same, isn't it? That's what you thought it was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> knew what she wanted. I'll take the apartment. A prestigious address. So you're moving in today. Welcome to 113. You'll like it here. I will. Thank you. Oh! They're doing it! An incredible view. Oh! Let me see. Let me see. Would you look at her? She's a voyeur. She can't get her out. But from the moment she moved in... I don't have anything to wear. Where would I send you? Someone was watching. You can tell me your secrets. What secrets do I have? I'd never tell. Someone was waiting. You just really look like someone. It's really strange. She was in 20B as well. When did she move? Well, well she didn't. She, she jumped out the window. Someone knows her fantasies. I don't want to get hurt. I could never hurt you. And sees her every move. The guy in 23B apparently fell in the shower and broke his neck. Four people died here in two years. What does that tell you? Sharon Stone, William Baldwin. Would you just listen to me? I wouldn't kill anyone. Tom Berenger. Coming back here, isn't he? At 113 East 38th Street. You're making me do something I don't want to do. The view from the outside is nothing compared to the view inside sliver all right Uh, i'll knock off this synopsis here we go stay with me this is not as ridiculous as the jade one so it won't it won't be that bad so carly norris played by sharon stone is our 35 year old successful publishing executive she's just gotten out of a stale seven-year marriage to a very boring man 
and she begins her new life as a single woman at a New York high-rise building known as the Sliver Building or simply 113. Now, what she doesn't know is, uh, but that what we do know is that her new apartment used to belong to another hot blonde called Naomi Singer, who fell to her death at the very beginning. So don't forget her. Uh, the building has a range of quirky residents. We've got Gus, who's a bookish professor. Uh, Vida, who's a bit of a good time girl with an English accent. We have Jack Lansford, played by Tom Berenger, a handsy author, uh, and a young video game developer called Zeke Hawkins, played by William Baldwin. Okay. Uh, Gus, the professor, uh, the old professor, seeks out Carly at the market across the road and tells and sells us the intrigue by telling her that she looks a lot like the dead woman, Naomi Singer, from the very beginning of the film. Carly's new life isn't really working out. She spends her nights watching her neighbors party down and frigging herself off in the bathtub. <laughs> <laughs> this is where. <laughs> This is where we also find out that someone in the building is spying not just on Carly's onanism, but on everyone all the time. Uh, she's also pursued hot and heavy by Jack Lansford. That's Tom Berenger, a guy who seems a little intense, um, and his behavior is growing nuttier by the second. Carly throws a housewarming party and shortly after forms a connection with Zeke, who invites her to sweat it up at the gym with him. Smash cut. They're having sex, okay? <laughs> and like a bunch of sex. So <laughs> you, just, you just picture that. Carly uh, confronts Jack, uh, that's Tom Berenger, saying that Vida, the good time girl with the London accent, told her that he was having an affair with the dead tenant Naomi Singer. I just confused myself then. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Carly confronts Jack and says, you know, Vida told me that you were having an affair with Naomi Singer. Uh, Jack seems also seems to have beef with Zeke, the young uh, video game developer, who we now discover is indeed the building building's owner and resident Peeping Tom. He is in charge of the surveillance operation that is going on there. Now, Vida is attacked uh, and killed in a stairwell, and Carly happens upon the scene moments after, finding Jack crouching over the body and, to be honest with you, saying mad shit if you turn <laughs> <laughs> did you catch that? I did. <laughs> saying mad shit. <laughs> like, what, are you, what are you saying? Okay. So Jack is interrogated by the cops and they discover that Jack knew Vita and was probably having an affair with him. Zeke reveals his peeping Tomery to Carly and, and she's appalled and then not as she's wrapped up in the lives and loves of the building's inhabitants. Zeke also uh, reveals that he tapes everything, especially the hot sex that he had with Carly, which they watch together and sort of, you know, almost have new sex while they're watching the old sex. So <laughs> Jack makes his move and attacks Carly in her apartment, forcing her by gunpoint to lure Zeke, to, uh, Zeke over. Uh, Carly, Jack and Zeke have a bit of a wrestle and Jack is killed. Shot, that is. Shortly after, now that Jack is dead, Carly recognizes that uh, her relationship with Zeke is not very healthy. Uh, right about the moment, she finds the tapes of all the other women he's boned in the building. Uh, Vida, Naomi, and Carly herself. The video uh, also gives us confirmation that Jack was indeed Naomi's killer. And, you know, by we can interpolate that uh, likely Vida's in the stairwell. Uh, at the end, she shoots up Zeke's monitors and tells Zeke to get a life. <laughs> <laughs> that's, 
That's the end of that. that that's literally how it ends. Get a life, credits roll. <laughs> I remember that final line being quite famous. Yeah. yeah. Like that was quite fa- like a famous, like, because you think of those sort of punch endings, like mm. there will be blood, I'm furnished, or, or eyes wide shut, there's one thing we need to do, what's that? Fuck, you know. <laughs> like you think of these punchy, like, like uh, one two ends, and this is is, a is it punchy one. enough though? Well, no, it's not. But that's why this one's famous. Like, like, because there will be blood is is like a masterpiece sort of ending, and eyes wide shut is is. I think those two are premier examples. Whereas this one is it desperately wants to be that, but it's 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 quite it's a little out of step with everything we've seen. Yeah, mm. you know what I mean. Like, it's maybe too flip. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Did Frank like it? Yeah, bonus central. Yep. Mm, yep. <laughs> well, this is Frank Fest, as I have dubbed it. So I'm always thinking of him, AJ's um. partner. So wait, did you watch this with Enga or I did, yep. Oh what did, what did she think of this movie? Come on. She liked it, but but she was like, Oh my god, there's so many creepers in this movie. Mm, okay. That's true. Everyone's a creeper. The one uh, the thing that struck me this viewing, because I saw it many, many years ago when I was much younger, so I probably didn't didn't pick up on a lot of the subtleties in, in the film, but mm. the just there are just really strange interactions between a lot of the characters, like especially early on, like the the guys are so aggressive off the bat in in a, in a really weird way, and then Sharon Stone's character Carly, it's almost like she's she's hearing them say something else like you know her reaction is not what you'd think it would be like for instance uh her boss takes her out to for, for a lunch and she's she's anticipating a raise but i don't i don't think she gets it and her boss is trying to set her up with this other writer the, the tom berenger character and um he tom berenger it's just the, the character Jack is just so aggressive, like like telling her, oh, have you read my book? And when she says no, he's like, you, you have to read it. You will read it. Um, it's just he's really aggressive. A um, couple of scenes after, like, like Carly's running through Central Park and then he just like out of nowhere in, in, a, in a hooded sweatshirt just jumps out and kind of grabs her like uh, mm-hmm. really aggressively, like supposed to be a joke, but but really fucking aggressively and any 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 woman on the planet would have taken that like much more seriously and gone get the fuck away from me like no it's just a just a nice little pickup i mean he's just keeping it real he's saying i want you i'm gonna reach reach out and grab you like the song says (laughs) even though i can't get it up (laughs) oh i forgot about that well isn't that the whole i isn't that the whole thing? That is actually he must be his driving uh, sort of wound, which like is that. a bit weak. <laughs> well, yeah. Are you killing people for that? I don't know. Well, <laughs> we can get into the ending. Okay, but, sorry, because no, 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 because he he is he doesn't seem to know throughout the whole movie that he's the killer. Yeah, <laughs> him <laughs> well, and me both. <laughs> like, uh, yes. Tom Berenger didn't know clearly. <laughs> So he's acting it like one way, and then when you put it all together at the end, you're like, "Wait a minute! Like, fuck! Did he know he was killing?" We, we'll we'll get to that ending soon, I'm sure. But yeah. the, the the apartment building also is interesting because are there really that many many kinky people in an apartment? Like all the <laughs> all the well, who are all the, the kinks? footage, all the footage is like 
everyone's doing something outrageous. Like <laughs> people are ballroom dancing in their in their house. Like like there's domestic abuse going on. There's like pedophilia. There's people confessing cancer. Drugs. Drugs. <laughs> and you know, obviously, there's lots of fucking and ah oh, yes, showering. <laughs> showering, mm. constant showering, constant showering. You know, I <laughs> I just you know. I can't believe, like, I want to know where this apartment is. Well, like. it's like Rear Window. You, you, when you In Rear Window, you get these vignettes of the neighbours and, you know, it ends up being this sort of snapshot into life. And I guess you have to take it as being a, a, a um, representative of, of a larger population because when you put it, when you sort of pick everyone out there and it, it ends up looking, it's a human buffet, it's sort of, yeah, it is too much. There's not enough, like, really fucking boring people there. <laughs> yeah. You know? Of people just watching TV. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Like, people, there's a lot, like, most people, especially now, every everyone just be on their fucking computer or their laptop or their iPad just doing yeah. nothing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, like, literally doing nothing. <laughs> so many people working out in their apartment too, you know. Yes. <laughs> Look, that gym scene was weird. What the fuck? So the scene AJ's talking about is where uh, Zeke um, sort of mm, tricks Carly into going to the gym. He's like, come to the gym. She's like, oh, there's mirrors there. And she's, he's like, no, there's no mirrors there. And they roll up and the place is full of mirrors. So he's lied to her. And then he's working out his buns. And then and then he well, gives her buns for working over. <laughs> so what did you think? Well, what about that scene didn't ring true to you, AJ? <laughs> Like it was just weird. Was it needed? Well, I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's, it's all pretty arbitrary. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Like at the end of the day, this this sort of content is indefensible, and that's why we don't have it now. I guess is because mm. it's sort of um, it, it's so easy to dismiss. I mean, uh, uh, on many grounds, you know. I, I think that's what makes this film fun in a way. Like you know, I mentioned the weird interactions and the aggressiveness, but. It's, it's it's sort of made it interesting, you know, and and the same with that scene. I mean, that scene's you know, that scene is what it is, and you get to see a bit more flesh from the mm. two lead leads there, but mainly Zeke. So yeah, true. A little something for the ladies there. Which um, was nice. But but the other weird thing is like he he just kind of meets her. He's met it met us. Uh, bumped into her in the lobby and stuff. But in the then elevator. He gets, He's he's saying, "Can I come up and help you?" Like, yep. And then he's like at the party. He's he's you know he's he's giving her the wine, and then and then will you work out with me? Yeah, work mm. out with me. And then after that, it it's fuck town, baby. Yep, yep. So population them. Yep, it's a fuck house. It's a fuck. Yeah, in the words <laughs> of Jade, it's a fuck house. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Yes. Well. Hmm. Uh, look, it, it, but it's it, it, this type of film, as we've said before, is is a total relic of the past. Do you know mm. what I mean? Like it just is. It's it's beyond the pale on, on so many levels. I, I don't know how you would explain this to you know someone just coming into adulthood now. Like I don't know how. Like they'd say, "What is this?" Yeah. And you'd say, "Well, back then we just liked to go and watch sort of, you know, like." fairly affluent people like in high rises and offices sort of feel each other up like you know and um get in sort of sexy situations and to to world music 
<laughs> and they go, hmm, okay. And they go, and they, and then I'd go, look, I know that sounds strange, but y'all like the Infinity Gauntlet and fucking Spider Man and shit. So <laughs> yeah. shut up. You know what I mean? Like at least this is this is not that. Yeah, yeah. So, but everything, but this is. Would you agree that this is the most nineties as fuck movie? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. What mm. felt nineties to you? Definitely uh, the inclusion of Enigma. Yeah. <laughs> The the band slash producer definitely signals the nineties for me. Um, but then just the movie as a whole, like you were saying, like it's just yeah, affluent people kind of hanging out, not really doing much in situations together. You know, just in outrageous jobs as well. Like I mean, yeah. I'm a, an author, a publisher, like fucking yeah. hell, a, a video game, video devel- game developer. This is is it, was he even that though? Or was that that a ruse? Like he just sits at home and watching. Jack's off. <laughs> I don't know. Um, well, the, well, all that stuff was a bit embarrassing because of the technology. All of this stuff would have been so cutting edge, like everything. Mm. Enigma was cutting edge. That video, well, video games were cutting edge. Like, yeah. Um, you know, he's obviously his video setup, but video games in general. Japan was still uh, very prevalent. A lot, well, well, just you know, after the bubble year in the eighties, it was it was on people's mind. It was a it was very Japan was very scary to America. Because Japan was so um, one of well, still is one of the leading econ- economies in the world. But back then, it was fucking huge. Yeah, it's only just uh, coming down off that off that uh, mountain. So mm. you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of it's so funny. Like what, you, you can always tell a, a film when they mention Japan, like like the era. Like this is it's sort of not spoken about in in movies anymore. But like he's like I had the video the video set up made in Osaka, mm. and the professor talks about going to Osaka. And yep. do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's interesting like that yeah so his his whole tech setup with the, with the with the screens like fucking big tv screens and the professor must have helped him maybe yeah hashtag complicit <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe <laughs> but yeah you know and it said it cost him six million dollars to make which that's why he screams when she shoots it <laughs> yeah that's right yeah it sounds exorbitant even for that time, you know, I guess maybe the wiring all through the building would have been a, a fucking huge job, I guess. Yes. So that that's where it, the, the cost would come in, I guess. But but also it's always interesting seeing these movies like back then you probably wouldn't question the technology, but the way he zooms in and stuff, mm. into the, you know, is very <laughs> like non-realistic. Well, I remember thinking at the time um, – you know, because I was there for it, that this was that 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 it was magic. Like you, you were just like, oh my god, that's could computers ever really do that? Yeah, mm. you know what I mean. Like a few movies, I think we've reviewed for this podcast have done this, where uh, he, he's just Zeke's able to just like start typing, <laughs> like she's at work and he's at home, and he just starts typing on his computer, and 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 the the message comes up in her Word document, in Word document, in Word. <laughs> That's, that that is... rose was terrible. <laughs> clip, clip yeah, and draws a rose somehow. Yeah. Well, yeah. Look, it was She's very 35. Early. She should know better. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, it was made by people who didn't know anything about computers and didn't care to know. Okay. The average person knew less about computers back then. So maybe they just took it for granted. Oh, you know, I guess mm. that's possible, you know, that you could Well, do it is. But the thing is, Zeke would, because obviously it's possible, but. You would need to be Kevin Mitnick, like that 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 uh, world-renowned hacker from the '80s, mm. like the, <laughs> a guy who 
just like, but Zeke's not a hacker necessarily. No. Well, he's not set up as a hacker. He's spending, as you say, spending a lot of his time, you know, watching people shower. Yeah. Like he's mm. not doing, I didn't see him code or anything. In no. fact, there's one really confusing line. Oh, there's a lot, but there's there's <laughs> one where Sharon, Sharon Stone's character he brings her over to his his apartment, his batch pad, and then she, it's just cuts from like the 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 decorations on the wall. He's got a poster for that video game Civilization and some manga and stuff, and then she says, "He goes, do you like it or something?" She says, "I love it. I play it all the time." Yeah. No, they're <laughs> talking about the music. Really? They're talking about the music. Yeah, Enigma's playing, and they're talking about Enigma. That, why did the, I've watched it twice this week. Why did it confuse me? <laughs> I, I thought they were talking about his video game or something. Well, actually, first time I saw it, that's, that's what I thought. And then when I had it playing while I was, like, you know, writing notes and doing stuff, I, yeah, then I took it as, oh, they're talking about the music. Fuck. Again, this diegetic sound. He plays a couple of tracks on the, of the soundtrack. I think yep. he plays O Carolina. Mm, yeah. And um, UB40, I think he plays that more than once. He's yeah. got the soundtrack of the movie. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like Spaceballs the movie. You know, like he's got it. <laughs> like unbelievable. And he's playing it. And he's like, "What do you think of the soundtrack? What's his liver?" <laughs> Carly Simon, <Yeah>. <laughs> 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 you know? Stupid. If you enjoy what we do here on the New Flesh Podcast, there are a number of ways you can contribute to the success of the show. Consider supporting us financially by becoming a Patreon member and donating monthly or yearly. Alternatively, you can donate money through the Buy Me A Coffee platform. If you're strapped for cash at the moment, there are other ways to support the New Flesh. You can give us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. These really do help others find our show and help spread the word. Or you can just simply tell your friends about us. Back to the show. Let's let's talk about the sexy underwear. Oh, uh, okay. So this is the <laughs> underwear that Zeke buys for Carly. Yeah. Okay. After you go first. So so they've <laughs> they've they've literally just met. He's yes. gone to the house party. They've nailed. Definitely. It's like the next day, and he sends her sexy underwear. Yeah. What's and <laughs> Venga picked up on this one. She's like, Oh, how does he know her size? Yeah. And I just went, well, you know, he probably went to the shop and, and went, oh, it, put his hands up and went, oh, yeah, they're about that big. Then, to, to the store attendant? Or- yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, what size, sir? Oh, about, you know, two handfuls. He grabbed her chest? No, but oh, AJ, okay. let's just say that a guy gets past, you know, the first few hurdles and he's not, you know, you don't think he's he's um, a creep. Okay. But but then he buys you. It's It's the timing's appropriate. But he's somehow magically got the the, the sizing one hundred percent correct. Is that a red flag? Well, <laughs> guys don't usually pay that much attention, right? Definitely not. Yeah. Definitely so it kind of is. Okay, because you'd be like, "Wow, this guy's like he's done a lot of leg work." Yeah. yeah. You know what he's probably done? He's probably zoomed in with his special surveillance camera to the <laughs> bra that's lying somewhere in her oh, apartment yes. and looked at the tag and went, oh, yep, yep, that's <laughs> right, you know, what? Well, he's got keys to her plate, so he'd just probably roll up. Yeah, okay. Definitely. definitely. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay, so that's what happened. I put this scene on Insta. I think people like it. Um, yep. The scene on the re- in the restaurant when Zeke asks to see um, the bra and panties and yep. then um, he says, there's so many great lines in it, so... <laughs> Uh, what about the panties? He goes, he, yeah, she goes, what about the panties? And then, <laughs> and then she goes, panties? Like high pitch. 
and his, uh, which is great. And and one of my favorite lines, um, he goes, "Yes, the panties. I want to see the panties." And then she says, "Forget it." <laughs> like she says, like like a mobster. She says, "Forget it." <laughs> you know she goes forget it <laughs> what the hell i love this scene i love everything about it it's sort of like a really perverted version of the when harry met sally scene yes mm. yeah and they've got these two uptight people watching and the way everyone's all, watching everyone's yeah. watching we're watching them watching which yeah. is so they're not very subtle no but he's not trying to be i guess mm. no so anyway Romantic. Yeah. <laughs> what I was thinking. Yeah. So to prove that she's really wearing the panties, she has to take them off. Yes. Give them to him. It's great. It's hot. It's good. Yeah, it is. And sexy. And um, yeah, it's the sort of thing that, uh, yeah, totally etched in my brain. Like mm. these sorts of games, you know. And, I, I'm uh, going to do that next time I'm having dinner out with Venga sometime. <laughs> I thought you were going to say with me. take my pants off. <laughs> take my panties off. You bunch them up and just put them on my <laughs> yes. plate. And go, what do you think of that? And I go. Big boy. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, forget it. <laughs> Smell it. <laughs> so, so yeah look if we stay macro for a second there's a lot going on here um you know i've thought about why you know why you perhaps couldn't make this now because it seems so out of place i mean anything does you put anything in a time capsule and 20 30 years later it seems strange so but but it's just you know particularly stark because having lived through it you're like oh wow it's, this seems so normal at the time and now it's so exotic and weird mm. but i think the things that that get in the way of m- making this kind of movie now are like I, I think the scourges are number one this this obsession with lived experience so this talk of lived experience uh you know and this obsession with consultants and it's sensitivity readers and you know stay in your lane mentality means that Joe Estherhouse could never write a story like this because they'd say, you're not a woman, you don't get to write about women. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And uh, which is a shame. I find it a very anti-human attitude because I love it when women write about men and I love it. Well, that's I've talked about this before. I love Johnny in Dirty Dancing. That's written by uh, Eleanor Bergstein. Like that's, you know, a woman writing a man and, you know, one of the greatest cinema men of all time. And here we have, you know, a man, you know, writing a woman. And, and so in the modern uh, day, uh, you know, very small-minded people have decided that, you know, you, you must stay in your line, lane, therefore we don't get these sorts of things. So it's a very anti-human attitude. But I think secondarily, it's the moral pivot that we've got now. So cinema itself, but all art itself now, has been totally taken over by a very puritanical uh, sect of people and sex weirdly can only be seen if it's seen at all as a, as a very positive experience and regardless of, <laughs> of how weird it is mm. um, our animal instincts are not to be explored um, and now 
Isabelle Huppert, uh, French, and I think the only pe- people who can save us from this madness are the French, by the way. So Isabelle Huppert uh, worked with Paul Verhoeven, director of uh, Basic Instinct, on another one of his films, and she said of working with Verhoeven, since that sort of pertains in a roundabout way to what we're talking about here, she says, and this is recently, movies are not meant to be moral, she declares. Art is not the place for moralising. Otherwise, we would have no painting, no books, no nothing. It's where we explore all the thoughts and acts we could never confess to in normal life. So there you have it right there, folks. That is a true artist. She's been in such incredible movies like The Piano Teacher and whatnot. Ooh, really, The Piano Teacher. We're going to do Let's do it. Aren't we you? We'll do that do film? That one. Yeah, we're totally yeah. going to do that film. Okay, so we'll do The Piano Teacher. Uh, because part of, you know, I think our, our mission should be to explore the the reasons why this this turn has happened and she has articulated something so clearly there that i think you know is is in complete opposition with the grandstanding that goes compare what she said to the grandstanding that went on at the oscars in 2020 but mm. the, the, the in fact every speech there from what i gathered was the complete opposite of that the the, the view of the of people in hollywood right now is Movies, not only movies should be moral, they need to be the right morals. In other words, the morals that I choose, you know, uh, and that uh, that aligns with, with, with one, you know, we've got to make sure everyone's learning and, and with that we're teaching all the time. So, you know, this film's come from a very different tradition and um, in a weird way, Isabel Huppert is, uh, I think, um, yeah, we need, to, we need to somehow, you know, get this back. This, this adventure, adventurous spirit of going, because, you know, the, 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 what Joe Esterhaus is doing, I mean, you, you could say it's sleazy or whatever, um, uh, uh, but at the same time, he is attempting to explore darkness, you know, the darkness within us, you know, in, in, in about voyeurism and sex and power and control and all these things. And, um, yeah, and desire and, and horniness and murder and, and subjugation, all this weird stuff. And, I just feel like, yeah, it's such a shame that, um, and you know who gets it? Enigma get it. <laughs> they get it because <laughs> they signed up to put their music to it, and and yeah. I think it's a good, it's a good uh, uh, match. And um, yeah, yeah. What do you guys think? I agree. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> I knew, I knew you did it. Oh, uh, you know, you know what I love in this uh, movie: the word putts. Twice. <laughs> you don't hear the word Jeez, putts. terrible. Colin Camp. JJ, terrible. what do you think Colin Camp? Good? You've been fucking your brains out, haven't you? Like, <laughs> 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 her voice was so weird. Like her, like it was bizarre. She was obsessed with guys like having hard dicks as well. Like yes. all, all the dudes she dated couldn't couldn't get hard enough lead pencils. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Why was it so much dirtier saying no lead in your pencil? That's way worse than saying he couldn't get it up. It's so much more creatively offensive, you know. Uh, yeah, like, and she even got the worst line in one. One, I can't believe no one changed this. She says, uh, Sharon Stone says, what Carly says to her, like, you've been spending too much time with your vibrator. I certainly have. I'm getting a plastic yeast infection. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I loved it both times. Fucking hell. Uh, so she's, she was yeah, just a caricature. She's in a different movie. Yeah. My, you know? my favourite quote from hers is this, isn't Pearl Jam some oriental sex thing? <laughs> Yummy. Yeah. She was just loving it. We've talked just... about this before. Let's bring back the word oriental. 
And let's say it like that. Yeah. <laughs> no, you know why you say it like that? My mum says it like that. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> that is. Don't change a thing. That's great. <laughs> like it's so. It's it's perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> so good. Oriental is, isn't Pearl Jam a weird Oriental sex thing? <laughs> but then she says yummy. Yeah. Yummy. Like it's it's offensive to everyone. You know. Well, so we, we we've mentioned enigma, enigma a bunch of times now, so okay. maybe, maybe we should talk about. Them. All right. Get into it. So the uh, soundtrack does feature some music by a 90s. Uh, they don't call themselves a band. Well, it's actually one guy. Um, An experience. No, it's called a project now. A project. So Enigma is a new age world beat project. Uh, and it was uh, founded in 1990 by Romanian German musician and producer Michael Cretu. Um, and according to Cretu, the inspiration for the project came from his desire to make a kind of music that did not obey the old rules and habits and presented a new form of artistic expression with mystic and experimental components. So the first Enigma studio album, which was uh, MCMXC AD, which is uh, 1990, for those of you who are not too quick on their Roman numerals, um, and the album remains Enigma's biggest, helped by the international hit hit single "Sadness Part One," which sold 12 million units alone. Jesus Christ! This song was everywhere. Yes, yeah. <laughs> everywhere. Yeah, Maya, like mm. radio. <laughs> yeah. Someone's house. All the commercial commercials places. Yeah, booths. <laughs> fucking everywhere. And he's done eight albums. Um, Last one was released in 2016. They were, he, they, he was fucking huge. Uh, sold over 8.5 million albums just for the, I think, for the, uh, for the debut album, I think. Uh, estimated 70 million worldwide with over 100 gold and platinum certifications, uh, Grammy Awards, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, I mentioned the term project. So Enigma sort of, popularized this idea of not referring to a band but calling it a project but still getting a lot of money that's right yeah. like call it what you like mm. <laughs> <laughs> i think it's called a project okay i don't believe you need to be a band but anyway uh here's my gold record and look at my, my, my giant mansion that i bought with money. Yeah. Yeah, it's still it's still doing everything that a band or artist ever did, but yeah, just calling right. it a project. <laughs> Wait a minute, isn't this like this? I'll see if I can get this right. Isn't this like when you say you're a straight chick and you say um, I'm I'm queer? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you, here's my boyfriend. <laughs> yeah. Here's my husband and three here's my, kids. Here's my husband and kid. Anyway, I'm so queer right now. <laughs> yeah. uh, so let's just talk about their style for a second here. Um, so their first album, the uh, 1990 album, it combines Gregorian chants and religious overtones with atmospheric synths, a hypnotic aesthetic and a dance-like beat, along with elements of pop and ambience, uh, and all accompanied by French-like whispers. Um, I think it's lost a bit of its shine over the years, but it's still quite hooky and it still gets stuck in your head. Uh, it, it's a strange melting pot of like electronic beats with breaks of sampled indigenous singing or religious chanting. So they do this thing where, you know, it's got a really 90s sort of beat loop 
and it'll have these synth pads and it's really ambient and they'll have these breaks that, yeah, that, that use a lot of uh, sampled indigenous music. And Enigma's actually been sued several times for unauthorized use of samples from indigenous musicians, famously by an indigenous Taiwanese couple who featured on their hit Return to Innocence, uh, which is one of their one of their biggest and most well-known uh, songs. So they've uh, in in their first album actually they were accused of putting satanic content into uh, into the first album, and this is a really '90s thing. I think we've talked about this before. Mm where it seems like everyone was obsessed with Satanism in the 90s and that music was satanic, you know. Um, many of the accusations were concerned with the Gregorian chants being satanic, um, and this resulted in many Catholic-backed radio stations in Europe banning Sadness Part 1 from being played. The record company issued a press release denying the claims that they had anything to do with satanic materials and uh, enigma stated that he didn't mean for there to be any implications of sat satanism within the album so some more projects that uh that drew comparisons with enigma are the french act deep forest i don't know no, if you remember deep forest i had them on cd single no you didn't did you cd single <laughs> cd single my my sister had this on cassette and we smashed it we smashed the fuck out of this cassette. We listened to it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. It's a hit. I know it's exactly what song you're talking yeah. about. And there's also a Canadian duo, Delirium, was was uh, quite similar to these guys. People who talk about cultural appropriation, they hold these up as big examples of cultural appropriation, especially in music, like of taking indigenous, sampling indigenous stuff and putting it into tracks and, um, and, and sharing it with the world, the entire world. What fucking assholes. <laughs> well, what deep forest, assholes. deep forest, you know, they, I think they actually went into the Amazon and recorded a bunch of, uh, singers and stuff from different tribes and, and you know, sampled those and turned them into big hits. And but what kind of a hateful son of a bitch would you have to be to not see that that track brought us all so much joy? True. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, mm. like Peter Singer, the philosopher, would look at this and say, "Well, we need to weigh up, you know, the amount of people that were were hurt and the amount of people that were, you know, uh, that weren't." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm. So it's ridiculous to me. But anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in the case of the Taiwanese couple. Like Enigma wasn't the first to take this music. So the story goes that they performed at some, uh, there was some cultural exchange that happened in the US and they performed and they were recorded and, and featured like on a, on a CD that, that went to the Library of Congress or something. And they were quite, quite excited about that. And then from that, somehow it ended up being um, used in one of the Olympic Games promos. Oh, wow. It's probably not Atlanta, but probably before the Atlanta, I think Atlanta Games, what was that? 96. 96, yeah. So it would have been before whatever came before that one. And it was used in a bunch of ads as well. And so I think Enigma, uh, the story goes that that he was unaware that it wasn't in the public domain because all these other people were using it. Um, so it ended up settling out of court and, and these Taiwanese people got, got a bunch of cash, no doubt, and royalties from the music and... You know, so I guess it all works out in the end. But, you know, in, in relation to Deep Forest, like, I mean, some of these isolated tribes, I mean, what are they going to do with money? Like, and, I, you know, I don't know the story. I mean, maybe Deep Forest gave them something to contribute to to their 
situation or, you know. <laughs> you sound, you sounded like the, the salesman to the tribe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you brought them like, you know, nine cartons of multi-pack like Cokes and you're like, <laughs> I bought you these Cokes. Uh, <laughs> I could bring you money, but what would you do with money? You wouldn't know what to do with it. But where's the Coke girl? I think of the sugar buzz you'll get. <laughs> Probably and like cartons of Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> dreadful. Yes, dreadful. What's more appropriate would probably be livestock, like goats or something. You know? Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. So, I can I see mean, you've whatever. studied these tribes. <laughs> 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 anyway, I, yeah, I think I agree with you. I mean, to, people are too too quick to jump on this cultural appropriation thing and and see it as such a sinister a sinister thing. Enigma, they don't, they sample stuff. They don't know if it's going to be a hit. No one knows if it's going to be a hit. If if no. you know if anything's going to be successful, no one knows. We just throw this shit out there, and and hopefully some of it sticks. So they're not just doing it, trying to you know if they wanted to make a lot of money, there'd be probably easier ways to do it than fucking being a musician. You know mm. what I mean? Like if that's what they're all about. So they were obviously really inspired by some of this music, and were really inspired to to use it and bring it to the world so you know i mean i think what's what's wrong with that and like like you say like it's, it's given people a lot of joy over the years so enigma's been used in this uh in this film a lot and it, because it has that kind of spiritual new age sounding do, do you call it sexy i guess it back is sexy. then it is sexy it is sexy because okay. it's because it's sort of sandalwood sexy you know mm -hmm. like you're doing weird sex positions yeah and <laughs> <laughs> like Sting and his wife, yeah, <laughs> you know, and he said, yeah, there's like incense, and you and you you exploring each other, there's like weird tantric, tantric baby, <laughs> and there's like weird Euro broken English, like God, it don't be sad, yes, yeah, life is crazy, life is mad, D don't be afraid, <laughs> God, it don't be sad. And then you can hear him taking a drag while he's singing it. <laughs> uh, that that's the sound of my childhood in a way. Like Oh, totally. Yeah. You know, it that is. Yeah, like that that, you know, synth pads and world music beats and sampled indigenous stuff. Yeah. And then that the 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 hot chick or the, you know, Euro guy just talking, whispering over the top. You Plain know. shit they don't understand. <laughs> yeah. That is crazy. That is mad. <laughs> uh, the soundtrack also features an original score by one of my favourite film composers, and that's Howard Shaw. Most people would know Howard Shaw from his more recent stuff being, you know, The Lord of the Rings and Boo. other such nonsense. But... <laughs> He he's made you know he's written some really fantastic and really original sounding film scores. His early stuff is really good. His soundtrack for Crash, Videodrome. Um, if you've ever seen The Cell with um, J Lo, yeah J Lo, that is fucking amazing. Um, he did The Fly. Uh, what else has Howard Shaw done? He's done all the Cronenberg films pretty much. Yeah. Um, so Naked Lunch. Um, he's serious. He's a serious artist. He is, yeah, yeah, and I I really enjoy scoring this. It's um, I just think it's really really appropriate, you know. Like nothing sticks out as being over the top or no. You know, so it's just, and I think his score is kind of sexy too because his his orchestral music sort of underscores a lot of the sex scenes as well. So mm. um, they do a bit of blending here and there. Yeah, well. I like it. Um, 
can we just pivot a second before we move off the music? AJ, what the fuck is UB40 even? <laughs> what? I was so confused as to why they were even on there. Again, this song was everywhere. It was. So, like, this movie isn't Four Weddings and Funeral. No. So <laughs> why do we have this song in the movie? Did oh anyone read the God. script or? <laughs> no. I mean, talk about cultural appropriation. These guys are doing um, Jamaican accents. Jamaican, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, that's like these two guys on TikTok now, the Island Boy guys. Oh, yeah. Island Boy. <laughs> <laughs> no? For goodness sakes. Yeah. So this is OG, Gold. like, cultural appropriation. Like, think about this. Just, just So imagine that. The guy just comes into the studio. Hey, you doing? Yeah, good to see you. Anyway, roll it. And then he goes, blah. <laughs> and you go, what the fuck is this? <laughs> we talked about not doing this. <laughs> and we've also got Shaggy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Carolina. Yeah. So there you go. I hate Shaggy. How yeah. dare you? And Massive Attack is also on here as well. So that's if you're cool, you liked Massive Attack. In the that's right. Yeah. You're emo. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, all the cool people like Massive Attack. Yeah. Like Shazza was at some stages in the movie. She was a bit emo, a bit goth yeah, with her bit. choker the, on. Yeah, a that bit. seems like a 90s thing too, doesn't it? Yeah. That choker jewellery. Dark lipstick. Yeah. She's so hot. Mm. I, I am, I'm in love with her. I love Sharon Stone so much. I just I, I just think she's magnificent. Like mm. she just and then think about this. She had the entire world by the balls. Yeah. Like the entire world. You know what I mean? I know there was some stuff about her getting paid early on, but, you know, still she she managed, I'm sure she managed to make it back uh, eventually, but she's just like so sexy and a real woman too. Mm. The woman. It's not a girl. It's a woman. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, she's hot. Like just and so uh, comfortable with herself as well, and so free and, and you know, look at all the all the clutching of pearls that goes on now about oh, I can't believe I played Black Widow and my titties were popping out of that shirt. <laughs> oh God, it's so offensive. Sharon Stone would be like, who cares? Look, we're mm. talking about. I showed my bush straight up. Yeah. yeah. Well, Billy Baldwin was supposed to show the dong, oh. and I think they they filmed it. And then he said no. And he showed his ass. I don't know. I think he's a total punk bitch. Okay. Well, that is a good, that is a good, I, I've got a new segment that I'd like to debut. So it's for AJ. Okay. Oh. So this is called Keeper or Creeper. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I actually wrote wrote down about this. Great. Like Billy, I, I decided he's ugly hot. Ooh, ugly hot. <laughs> okay. Yeah, he's not. He doesn't do it for me. I'm okay. much more of an Alec girl. But, but he's but old Alec. Youthful though. Successful game yeah. developer. Yeah. He's work works out. He's self employed. No, he's real estate. He's a creeper. Okay, so he's, he's a creeper. <laughs> because like the sh- the mad shit he's spruiking is <laughs> insane. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. I get it. Okay, he's a creeper. Yeah. So Jack Lansford, played by Tom Berenger, successful author. He owns a ranch in Montana. You know, likes to dress casually, you know, sort of like a mugger. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
sweatpants and a beanie and he'd just jump out and say, hi. Um, yeah. He's assertive, maybe a little manic. Uh, keeper or creeper? <laughs> nah, creeper. <laughs> <Very much. laughs> okay. All Pike was right at the start. He was really aggressive yeah. all the way through. And like saying also saying mad shit like um maybe you two share the same spermicide. Oh yes. shit, I forgot That's about that. a little that, bit offensive. That line <laughs> That was later yeah. in the movie. <laughs> if you said that now, that I think you would be like, yeah, you'd just be erased from from the world. Do people still use spermicide? Um, do you want me to talk about in detail about in <laughs> my wife and I how we <laughs> make love together and what kind of spermicide we yeah, use? I do you want me to talk- <laughs> I'd mind you, I did make a joke the other day to Katie. I said to her, I said, "Oh yeah, something about you know, um, take your diaphragm out." And she said, "Diaphragm," and I went, "What?" What's wrong with that? And she said, them, them shits ain't been used in like 30 years. <laughs> yeah. Went, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think those two go hand in hand. Yeah. So, oh, what, yeah. A, what a fucking operation I know. it used to be. Yeah. Get out your spermicide jelly. <laughs> Sexy. And uh, and jam a like a giant bit of rubber all the way up your cooch. And we'll see what happens because mm. it's not 100% to be a frank with you. Mm. Still have a baby. So, mm. um, all right. So, uh, miscasting of uh, of William Baldwin. We all agree. Okay. Same with Jade. This is it's both had the same. Yeah, of, true. Uh, miscasting there. But you said he's ugly, hot though. Yeah, like I get it. If some people find him hot, like I can see it. But I don't like the sunken in eyes. Right. Okay. Like he's just not my flavor. What about his rig? Meh. He's all right. Okay. I'd much rather Alec right now. (laughs) Right now. Fresh (laughs) off a murder charge. Fresh off murder charge. He's he's moments away of um, assaulting paparazzi while he's drunk, and I can't wait for it. You you can be one of those birds that gets obsessed with an like a a life life inmate, and you, you can marry him. Look. I have said this before. I was going to be a pen pal to jailbirds. Great. And I used to tell my mum that all the time. And she used to get really upset with me. I also used to say that I was going to try it for Big Brother and get my tits out. Two things Great. my mum has never recovered from. I don't from. know what should be more appalled at. Both. Because, you know, they are both damnable things. And my brother said, as long as you get a P.O. box, it'll all be fine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's good, though. That's, that's helpful good advice. advice. <laughs> that is good advice, yeah. But mm. I was like, some people are in jail for not doing anything. Yeah, but some people are also in there for doing a lot. It's <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. It's true. So you got to pick your mark. You're like, did this guy really do it? I mean, they all say they didn't do it, but that's true. Did this guy really not do it, or did he really, you know, like vivisect that person? <laughs> I'm not going to write to Ted Bundy. Okay, no, no, like... he's dead. AJ, he's, he's dead. dead. I know that. <laughs> the, the legit killers—they're the hottest ones, though. Rem, like Ramirez, Richard Ramirez. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, he was disgusting. He was like, so gross. He was not good. Not good. At all. Well, let's talk about the ending. Can I talk about the ending? You can, yeah, for sure. All right. So 
this film had a major battle with uh, the MPAA, which originally gave the film, um, was going to give it an R rating, and they were working pretty hard to try and get it an NC-17 rating because apparently- what, what the fuck did those guys do today? For fuck's sake, they'd be like, they'd just be asleep in the chair going, oh, um, yes, uh, that the, the Rock movie was good. Uh, what's <laughs> yeah. next? And they go- uh, Ant Man and versus you know fucking Iron Man and then yeah, they go yeah. oh yes uh, more shots of of uh, I don't know like the Infinity Gauntlet like powerful <laughs> and then they go wait is that our purview or not really just I just thought I'd weigh in on that yeah. <laughs> anyway <laughs> so they were the the producers were working really hard to get that NC seventeen rating. Uh, apparently, it's uh, box office suicide if you're R-rated. I don't know why. It used but... to be, yeah, because you couldn't take you couldn't take because kids weren't allowed at all. Whereas if it was mm. R-rated, you, you a guardian could bring the kid in. Yeah, yeah, right. So they made they made extensive reshoots before the release, um, and these some of the reshoots actually ended up changing the killer's identity. Oh. So they shot a final scene um, with a helicopter that involved flying over a volcano. But to, to reference that original line, he yes, says, he, he oh, wants to fly into a volcano. Yeah. Volcano. yeah. Oh. And uh, the, heli- the helicopter actually crashed and somehow everyone survived, which is good news. And the footage was lost during the flight. Um, so they actually reshot all of that. And. Um, let me explain what that scene's all about first. So in the film's original ending, Zeke instead of Jack turns out to be uh, the killer. And he and Carly fly over a Hawaiian volcano when Zeke suddenly confesses his crimes. Then he fears the aircraft towards the volcano. Uh, also, Carly is basically says something that to, to the effect that she's okay with that. And... So when it went to test screenings, the, the the preview audiences hated the idea of Carly turning immoral so much in that helicopter scene that they decided to flip the killer altogether and turn it into the Berenger character. So oh. you get a sense that Tom Berenger doesn't know that he's the killer mm. throughout the whole thing, and it's true because he wasn't the killer. Mm. Well, the, it's, Fatal Attraction has a similar uh, had a similar trajectory so like they had an ending where you know i think she kills herself or something and um it, it was a downer and a bummer and, and then they changed it to uh she gets killed by michael douglas or whatever by him and his wife sort of uh triumphant and it made a lot of bank and this was the same deal so they changed the ending and it, it went made for 40 million made 116 and then oh, wow. went on to do our, it, this was a mega smash this was huge this was big so uh, but what 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 do we think of an ending where the killer gets the girl? Well, basic instinct. She was kind of into it though, for a bit. She was into the the peeping and the yeah. and, and the TVs and, and she really liked before. him. So if she didn't see the the movies, I could definitely see her just going, "Yeah, sweet." If she didn't see him fucking everyone, well. I think it's about just choosing, like, I think Basic Instinct was magical the way they, they it was very delicate. There's a couple of factors. I think Michael Douglas um, is, a, is, is a perfect match for Sharon Stone in, in, in terms of their, I don't know, their gravitas and their clout. So they really, they really do have a, a, an excellent chemistry, you know, that they're, they're playing this cat and mouse with each other. Whereas 
in this movie, uh, Billy Baldwin, it's hard to buy this ending because, you know, just like in Jade, the casting, it's miscast. Mm. So we don't have, there is no cat and mouse game. She sort of really overshadows this guy. So we're not invested in him. But also you need to, so you need to choose your, if you're going to do an, uh, you know, sort of an, an ironic ending or an up ending or a down ending, or whatever, you need to choose your audience because, you know, the ending, that helicopter ending is a lot like the the ending of Crash, which you mentioned earlier. So you yeah. mentioned uh, uh, Howard Shaw's work on Crash. Crash has got this awesome scene where they, you know, they 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 the, the husband and wife like uh, you know speed up on a, on a on a on a freeway and launch and get into a car crash and like they you know he says oh we're still here or whatever and it's okay baby next time or something you know and the camera like pulls back and it's like this beautiful sexy dystopia you know that was a very small movie and very niche and uh whereas you know to do that in this this was a big fat movie like you know 40 million dollars a lot to spend on a movie and i did that it kind of ending just wouldn't have worked here but it's a great ending i think if you had someone if you cast it properly someone better like someone stronger to go again their cat and mouse game was a little bit more uh, believable then at the end let like i actually don't i think that um, it should have been Tom Berenger, uh, but it should have been Zeke's obsession and and you know their that discuss, where they found out. So then what you've got is you you, you know that you've solved the problem of the killer, but what you've what you're left with is the awkward thing of you and I are both involved in this sort of voyeuristic thing. Oh, and we act in in the, just like Batman in the Dark Knight, we solved the big problem using using uh, overstepping justice because we we discovered you know what i mean like rather than solve the pedophilia case in the movie mm. they should have solved the fucking murder yeah. then, and still been addicted to the sexy stuff and then or or even if he was the killer i love the the volcano ending because but but they should have had her put her hand on the joystick and go down into it mm. and then you'd go oh shit you know like so i don't know like it, it's a very delicate thing and i think that they that that joe has you can tell he like although he he did work very hard, like a lot of rewriting and a lot of different stuff mm. to try and get it to work. And it really is alchemical at some point. You know what I mean? Like basic instinct is fucking magical, like the way it comes together. And uh, he's had a, several other chances to do it in Jade and, 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 and Sliver, but, you know, just a few. You can, what's great is that you can see just a few creative decisions just changes the whole deal, you know? Mm. Yep, yep. Do you, what, what do you think of their chemistry, Billy and Sharon? Meh. You, you don't think they have chemistry? Well, um, the when they were fucking on the big column, that was pretty hot. Yeah, big column. <laughs> like when he's taking it from behind. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> the rape uh, fantasy. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that was hot. Ah, uh, yes. yeah, yeah, very good. Well, very I good. asked this because, according to the director Philip Noyce, Sharon Stone and William Baldwin hated each other and demanded that their scenes be filmed separately whenever possible. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, that's pretty standard stuff. Mm. Um, Philip Noyce, Australia's own. Mm. Philip Noyce. Yeah. Director of Rabbit Proof Fence <laughs> and <laughs> Sliver. And so, well, didn't he do didn't he do Castaway or I did Clear and Present Danger. Um he did The Bone Collector and um he might have done Dead Calm, maybe. No, Dead Calm is the one I'm thinking Dead of. Calm. There yeah. You know, oh, there. I like that movie. So he's proper. He did Salt with Angelina Jolie, I think, as well. So um, yeah, I'm. I'm. He makes me. Uh, 
really proud. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> because he's a he's a real journeyman director, uh, someone who can direct in a lot of different genres, and and here he is. Just I think ex- I think it's beautifully directed. I really do. Like apart from that, it's miscast. Mm. Um, and he doesn't have like he you know always one hundred percent control over that i mean robert robert uh, evans the producer would have had a lot to say i'm sure oh and joey esterhouse is a producer as well so and, and he sounded like he was going through the behind the scenes stuff with joey Esterhouse on this movie is crazy like he 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 um he had like there was someone working on the movie like another producer or some shit um and and they ended up like you know joey esterhouse ended up like sharon stone ended up dating that guy and then that guy's partner Joe Stouse then cut his grass, went out with that woman. It was a mess. You know oh. what I mean? Like it was real Fleetwood Mac stuff. <laughs> you know? So that was all going on behind the scenes. So Baldwin and Stone hating each other, I think, was probably the least of it. Mm. Yeah. And they had to work so hard to get Stone in this movie to begin with. I could imagine. Yeah, she was getting pretty big. Yeah, but but point. but she I don't think she wanted to do something that was so similar to basic instinct, I think. But but by saying that, I think the character in this film is a lot different. You know, it's sort of they're they're trying to do like another basic instinct here. You know, with overall with the film, but I don't think her character is. Yeah, like, she's not so, diabolical and she's not a killer. And yeah, she's just, and and that's one of the ways they sold it to her was that you know this this character has got more dimensions that you can play with. Um, they got her on board. I think they got her on board by telling her that Gina Davis that they were going to get Gina Davis had signed on for it and she was originally going to be doing basic instinct or she was the original person they wanted for basic instinct and so then she signed on for it because there was some competitiveness going there but it was a bit of a lie like she was never approached to do sliver so Jeez, bring that hollywood back eh? yeah all <laughs> these games that they also told her before uh before the gina davis thing and, the, and she didn't bite for this that they were going to cast demi Moore and that Bruce Willis was going to uh, accepted to do the role for free. So he was going to be in it too. All of these people did their own sexy thrillers, <laughs> by the way. Demi Moore did Disclosure with Michael Douglas. Yeah. Bruce Willis did Color of Night. Yeah. I don't think Gina's got one, but if, if it's out there, I'll find it. <laughs> yeah. okay. So these, these kind of games Hollywood producers mm. play to try and get try and get their star, you know. Well, I was just watching a bit of that documentary, uh, uh, The Kid Stays in the Picture, about Robert Evans, the producer of this film, and he talks about doing that. He's old hat at that. He talked about doing that with um, Mia Farrow on on Rosemary's Baby. Mm. Did you say that bit, AJ? Yeah. Yeah, and he's like, he's talking mad shit about her. He's like, you know, because apparently Frank Sinatra said to her, you know, you've got to stay. I want you to be in my picture. And she was halfway through Rosemary's Baby. You've got to leave Rosemary's Baby. She's like, I don't know what to do. And Robert Evans is like, you know, I sat her down. I showed her the movie, an hour of the movie. I said, you're going to be a star. You know, and she was like, Sinatra who? He said the divorce papers on set. You know, he's he's old school. He so um, he comes from this tradition. And that maybe that's, you know, feeding into this, what I was saying before about the causes and conditions what cre- that created this movie. He comes from an era where this is another quote I got from a producer who was an influence on him said to uh, Robert Evans back in the day and probably in the fifties or some shit said, uh, I think it was Charlie Bluthorn was his name. He said, uh, go, go by the seat of your pants, make pictures. People want to see, I want to see tears, laughs. I want pretty girls in the pictures, beautiful girls, pictures. People want to see in Kansas city, Kansas city. Uh, You know, that's all Evans. Uh, What else do we, what else do we got to go over? So, that's really this movie. 
Mm. You know, a movie that people in Kansas City want to see, Beautiful Girls. Um, uh, it was a great movie. Yeah. I had a good time. Mm. I had a great time. And um, Hollywood's lost its way. Is what mm. Do you think these films age well? Because this was, this. I mean, this made money, but it was slammed uh, critically. Like all the critics hated it. But I think if critics were to look at it now or or us looking at it now, I mean, we're a bit more forgiving now, I think. Yeah, I think yeah so. but we can also appreciate it because this kind of film doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, that's right. Or, or, or the, the, the films don't try to explore these sorts of realms or topics anymore. You know. Yeah, that's right. Well, that that, that does, I think, bump it up. But but you know, the, and the nineties is sort of getting its own edge now that it didn't have twenty years ago. I feel like the nineties was dangerous for filmmakers. You know. Well, at the time, I thought it was shitty. And now I just didn't know it was the fucking like you know Wonderland. I just mm. didn't know we had train spotting and Pulp Fiction and Basic Instinct and you know fucking Die Hard with a Vengeance and just whatever like and Serial sc- Mom, Scream, Serial Mom. <laughs> Jesus Christ, these are real fucking movies. Though. They are. Yeah. They're great stuff. So uh, yeah, it's, it was a different time, but um, but yeah, just a, a couple of things. That, uh, so. This film, I thought this film was this film is uh, based on a book by Ira Levin. So Ira Levin is uh, a writer who sort of specialized in female paranoid thrillers. So he did. Um, he's the Gaslighting King. He wrote Stepford Wives, Rosemary's Baby, and Sliver. So when you watch all three of those together, you actually see his whole deal. You know what I mean? Mm. It's basically women getting totally fucked over by the men in their lives. You know, like women coping with the changing nature of what it means to be a woman. So, in uh, in in Stepford Wives, it's about uh, marriage and moving to the suburbs, and uh, the role of of the housewife, uh, and particularly in the seventies and sixties and seventies at the changing time. Rosemary's Baby is about the you know about pregnancy and the way that sort of weaponized against you know uh, women and their because she was had a career in the movie I think and they had to choose between that. And then finally, I think Sliver is about divorce, you know, and about a different kind of uh, experience. So they're all conspired against by the men in their life, but also the environment. They're controlled and manipulated and surveilled. And um, and I think that's what makes him a very interesting, interesting writer here. Um, uh, and but at the end of the day, this isn't like an urban professional horror movie. You know, it's like what if you move into a great uptown condo? Sure, you're rich. You got great healthcare. You can afford to eat. You know, real food, unlike everyone else in America. But the doorman doesn't even open the door for you. Oh, look, the the slight against the doorman. <laughs> <laughs> Not giving him a tip. Yeah. Yeah. That was a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, he didn't open the door for me, did he? I was like, Jesus Christ. I know. <laughs> no, but that, that I think that's true because we don't realise this because in Australia we don't have a tipping culture. In in America, like like when I travelled the US, like I people I'd have, have dinner with and, and stuff, friends of friends and stuff like that would – They'd say stuff like, "Oh, not not going to give him a very good tip because blah blah blah. He didn't do this, or he didn't do that, or so the tipping culture is is really big there, and and people, you know, they really if they don't feel like they've been given good service, they don't tip well. It sucks, man. It's it does good. suck. I I've I've met some Americans that live in Australia that 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 sort of miss the tipping because they reckon you get better service because of the tipping, but man. When you when you're working at a bar and the only money you're really getting is from tips, it's like it's nightmarish. But know? when we talk about the service you get, like I mean, we're getting off topic here. I'm sure that people have talked about this ad nauseum, but you know, do you re- you know that that sometimes 
you know, is it service when someone is like just doing it for the tip? Like, I, I don't know. It's not right. Do you want to be interrupted a thousand times? A thousand that's, that's times. That's the other thing. That's the other thing. Yeah. 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 Jesus Christ, leave me alone. Yeah. All right. Well, I've got a, I got some stuff to, to bring up. Hit, so. hit us with the me too. All right. Okay. So uh, cute meat or cute stalk? So Jack <laughs> dresses like a mugger, then pops out of nowhere in the park to menace or maybe flirt with Carly. I'm not quite sure. Uh, he's clearly been researching her private life and uses it to neg her quite successfully. Brings up her boring ex-partner and uh, she says, fuck you. And he says, would you like to? I can try to make myself available. <laughs> so I don't know. I think he's not getting the signals there. But um, So that's a, that's a big one. Uh, next, the invisible woman. Uh, Martin Landau, that's Carly's boss. Uh, you know, we mentioned him earlier. He's trying to set up uh, Jack and Carly. Uh, at a restaurant, Carly's boss, he gets in on the action. He says, oh, you've lost her now, Jack. She likes being in control. Like she's not even there. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like just like she's just a prop. Like imagine that. So anyway, the next headline, don't be a slut, you slut. This is um, <laughs> the slutty best friend syndrome. Uh, so Vita Warren, uh, our, our English woman, uh, she says, uh, y'all moved in to Carly. She says, no, I hate it. And she says, oh, wait a minute. That's right. No, first she talks about she talks about a trip to Italy. She says, ass pinching Italians. My bum is still blue. <laughs> and then uh, after that, yeah, that's when she says, y'all moved in? Yeah, you, you all moved in? No, I hate it, Carly says. I know, it's worse than anal intercourse. <laughs> Carly laughs. This is internalized misogyny. All this talk of bums and bumming. You know what I mean? Like here, here we are. Here we are. Picturing this attractive woman engaging in sweaty acrobatic sodomy. Okay. This is all part of the plan. All right. It's all part of the plan. I, I can see what they're doing and I don't like it uh, much. So uh I do like this is just a little side note. This this was the I I think I'm gonna post this on Instagram, this scene. This was uh, at, at that nightmarish mixer they have at her apartment. One of the interns or whatever assistants at the publishing house looks through the telescope and she says, they're doing it. Oh, they are. I can't believe it. She's so excited, like, that they're doing it. Um, but Sharon Stone gets so excited. Oh, too. doesn't yes. want to share. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, her laughing, she's going, oh, oh. Oh, yeah, that was, <laughs> that was a bit of fake acting. I thought <laughs> horny, horny sort of laughing. <laughs> I thought that was hot. It was hot. So... Uh, and then Jack says, would you look at her? She's a voyeur. She can't get enough. <laughs> <laughs> and then he goes, she's a peeper, a peeper, a peeper. <laughs> that like- has to be at the end of the app. <laughs> <laughs> that's so true. You peeper, you peeper. <laughs> yes, that's true. That is what happened. So Jack's shaming of Carly for being sex positive. You know, there's nothing wrong with being an uh, nymphomaniac or a kink machine, okay, nowadays. <laughs> it's empowering and great. And, you know, yeah, for women, don't have sex. No, for women <laughs> to put everything they've got on TikTok or OnlyFans, that's, that's what's hot now, okay? Make your money, girl, okay? <laughs> that's empowering. That's empowering. Next up, witness the fitness. Uh, or, or shall we say witness the fitness related sex crime uh zeke lies to carly to get her to go to the gym he then thirst traps her with his strong buns and then gropes her buns and she loves it so 
He's a bit of a taster. He says, anybody ever tell you you've got a very nice butt? And then she says, nobody's told me that in a long time. He says, well, that's because the wrong people have been looking at it. And she says, that's true. Okay. <laughs> this is, again, internalized misogyny. So what? So what? What? All women want a rich man who, who works out and owns condos to take control and be socially and sexually aggressive? No, no. They want soy boys who can be pegged in. <laughs> okay. That's what they want. All right. Um, so no editorial needed. What's that? A volcano. I'd like to fly into it sometime. So there you go. I think that speaks for itself. I don't need to add to that. Next up. Here we go. Next headline. Okay, groomer. Uh Zeke interrogates Carly over dinner about her underwear. Show me the bra and panties. And she does, removing the panties and bunching them up and handing them over. She's in thrall of the patriarchy. Getting men hot is disgusting. Unless it's for money on OnlyFans, we've talked about this. Then it's beautiful empowering. We've already said, we've covered this. Okay. You know the rules. <laughs> Next up, bare-assed attack. Carly pops over for a visit and Baldwin comes from behind. Mm. Nude, mind you. Uh, rubbing his naked body. Over her to world music. <laughs> that was rape. Well, you know, it's it was rape. So, yeah. These are the charges. You have it. You have it all in front of you, good people. What what are we what are we giving this out of ten on, on our me too scale? It's gotta be eleven, right? Yeah. Mm. Yes. Is this the highest we've had? I Think I think maybe it's Close maybe to. it's no Friday the Thirteenth Part Two also scored eleven I think okay I think it's the aggressive guys mm. like b- way before the sex starts mm. the yeah. aggressive guys are all just like I don't know they're just treating her like she's um I don't know what it is like a like squeeze me toy or something you know like they're just they're aggressive and on her straight away and yeah and then the sex happens and then the rest of it so I feel like yeah it's it's high. It is high, so probably, yeah, 10, 10 or so or 11 maybe. Do you guys think that Baldwin is a player or a little bitch? Well, like with all the, the I love yous and that, and he's saying all the same shit to each uh, other. When he says, he goes, he goes, <laughs> he goes, you're so beautiful, Vita. You smell so good. <laughs> and then like then cuts, he's nailing the next chick and he says, I love you. You smell like roses. Is <laughs> <laughs> yes. a kink and he's just a nerd? Or <laughs> well, I don't know. Like he, I think again, the casting doesn't work for me. No, he's not, he's not someone they needed to. It needed to be someone that gets you right in the bread basket. Someone who's like a bit more, um, you know, a masculine and assertive, mm. and 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 it's got that that complexity, and you're like, oh no, like you know, I'm all I'm all drawn in in the way I am in Blue Velvet, you know. Yeah. Mm. So everyone in Blue Velvet has is so multifaceted, whereas here, I think he's just miscast, and he comes across as yeah, a bit of a bit of a fruit mm. you know, mm. in the old parlance. Bit of a la femme. <laughs> <A> la femme. <laughs> Ricky, do you agree? Or? I do. Yeah, yeah. I think he's he's. The character's a player, but but Baldwin can't pull it off. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So real life for some mm. guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What, does, what does it matter? He's rich, yeah. right? Oh, and he's still nailing them. So he's nailing them, but I guess he he is ultimately a loser because yeah. he's sort of like 
No, but then again, this is a common story, though. There, there are there's so many people. Well, I think in Hollywood that have you know all this power. They're rich, and you know, I mean, look at Arnie. Like he's got everything, and then he just nailed the random like housekeeper. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure she's good. You know, here and there, but like <laughs> you're fucking, you're Arnie. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, why do these people do it all the time? They're like, or they'll. They'll do, well, well, actually, I know I'm not, we're not going to end on this, but I'm just saying that Cosby had it all. Oh. <laughs> and look, he, he, you know, he got his pills on. <laughs> I think he had a very specific oh, yeah. kind of kink. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, quick, move on from. Final thoughts, final thoughts. Jeepers Creepers, what a bunch of peepers. Sharon Stone has burnt into my eyes. <laughs> Amazing. That's I want good. a bumper sticker of that. <laughs> That's good. That's really uh, good. Yeah. Well, that was Sliver. I think we had a great time. Next week, uh, we're going to keep it rolling. We, we're building up, really, in our Frank Fest, uh, aka uh, Joe Esterhouse, Joe Esterhausen uh, Festival. Uh, next week, Flashdance, um, where, and then I think we smash uh, Showgirls after that. That's the finale. Mm. Um, Can't so, wait for that. Yeah, it's going to be great. But but I think it'll be good to see the beginnings, Flashdance, you know, yep. where it all began. I think I've only maybe seen it once. I don't think I've seen it. Great. Well, yeah, again, well, it's one of these movies that, that uh, its reputation sort of uh, has long since overshadowed its... Uh, the actual movie so um yeah anyway that's uh that's 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 it uh, but well we said what we said aj uh yeah oh this this week's a bit tough but yeah i did <laughs> <laughs> i'll back myself <laughs> you'll back yourself <laughs> i don't i don't think i have anything to worry about <laughs> i did say fruit <laughs> You did. And you I apologize. Yeah, you kind apolog- of defended Cosby. No, I did not defend Cosby. But <laughs> anyway, if you are a fruit, uh, I'm I'm sorry. <laughs> Long live the new flesh. Long live the new flesh. Life is crazy. Life is mad. A peeper. A peeper. You've been fucking your brains out, haven't you? My mum says it like that. What about the panties? (laughs) (laughs) What the hell?